Hello, and thank you for joining us today. As always, it is such a blessing to be with you. The name of our message today is The Day and the Hour. Today we'll be looking at the topic of the return of Christ, the return of Jesus. And the big takeaway of what we want to talk about today is what Jesus is really telling us. That during this time, what he wanted us to know. While many people try to decipher the day and the time or want to know or pick or try to guess, and many of us can turn on our TV even today or scroll through social media where people make a stance or make a claim to know the day and the hour, or they talk about maybe this is the signs of the times. Today, we're actually going to look at what did Jesus say? What did he say uh, about all of this? Now, there's a few things we're not going to cover. When we talk about biblical prophecy, this is a, a, a mountain of, of information. It's a mountain of prophecy and what all the Bible tells us about what is to come. We're not going to cover God's wrath today or the millennial kingdom. We are actually just going to skim the surface. We're going to start by looking in Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to, to look at, uh, about what Jesus told us during the Olivet Discourse with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. We're going to look through and what Jesus really wants us to know about his ultimate return and the rapture of the church. If you would, please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is ever-changing. And Lord, we thank you that your word tells us so much of what is to come so that we can know, so that we can be prepared, that we can heed warnings and that, that we know ultimately... Every second counts. Lord, I pray that as we look through your scriptures today, they would just bring revelation to each one of us, that it would change us, it would move us to be more and more like Christ. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So as I mentioned, if you would, turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 24. Before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about biblical prophecy and why it's so important. Many pastors, preachers, teachers steer away from biblical prophecy. Sometimes because it may turn people, certain people off or because it is, it is events that haven't really happened yet. So for a lot of it, it is really interpretation or trying to, to decipher maybe what it says. However, we believe that it is very clear what Jesus says, and many scholars do believe that it is very clear, that it is not cryptic or, 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 or trying to make people guess. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But one of the things about biblical prophecy is it makes up more than 25% of the Bible. According to the Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, there are 1,239 prophecies in the Old Testament, and there are 578 in the New Testament. And that gives us a total of 1,817 total prophecies. Now, these prophecies are contained in over 8,352 Bible verses. And since there are 31,124 verses in the Bible, that comes down to 26.8% of the Bible. Now, why is that important? Why is all that information important? It's because this. It's because we were told that information. It is the inspired Word of God. And there is a reason that we're told that information. 
that that 25% of the Bible, if we negate talking about that 25% of the Bible, we are negating talking about the inspired Word of God, and that is not sound biblical teaching. So today we're going to talk a little bit about, as we said, the coming of the end of the age and the rapture of the church. Now, I want to set this up a little bit for you. Before we look into chapter 24, this chapter 24 lays out, um, it, it starts with this, this week, this Passion Week. And what Passion Week is, and it's the Sunday of when Jesus is, has his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and the following Sunday is when Jesus rises from the dead. And that is why it is called Passion Week. Now, for those of you that would like to know more about what happened during Passion Week, during that really important week, we, we have done uh, one of our messages previous. You can look back, and it is titled Passion Week to get more information there. But on Sunday of Passion Week, Jesus rode the donkey, fulfilling prophecy, riding into Jerusalem. And Monday, he goes into the temple, he overturns uh, the money changers, and then Tuesday is the, the timing of the events of what we're going to talk about here in chapter 24. This starts the, this is the, the second longest discourse that Jesus gives us. And actually, this is called the Olivet Discourse. This starts where Jesus and his followers go up on the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is a mountain that sits uh, beside the old, old city of Jerusalem. It sits Right beside, or right beside the Temple Mount. And at that time, the temple was there. The temple was built. And we see here that the disciples are looking at the temple and they're in awe. And, and Jesus sees that they are in awe and he makes some comments to them. But before we get to that, I do want to lay out what that looked like. What were they seeing? Because obviously the temple is not there today. These stones that made up the temple were 40 feet long, 12 feet high, 12 feet wide. Those were the stones that made up the temple mount, or I'm sorry, the temple. And they weighed in at over 200,000 pounds. Now, these stones were white marble, and this, the roof of, of the temple was a blindingly, it was gold, but it was blindingly brilliant in the sun. So this would have been an amazing thing to see. It would have it would, have been, it would have been like seeing something at that time that, that you couldn't see or you couldn't, you couldn't find anywhere to look at. And as we know, Jesus sees how, how, how captivated the disciples are at what they're looking at. And here in verse 1, it says, Jesus left the temple and was going away. And when his disciples came to him, came to the point, came to point out the building of the temple, but he answered to them, do you see all of this? Do you not? Truly I tell you, there will not be one stone left upon another stone that will not be torn down. Jesus is giving a prophecy to his disciples here. He's telling them, hey, look, yes, I see the temple, but it's going to be torn down stone by stone. And we know by history that in 70 AD, the Romans came into Jerusalem and they tore the temple down stone by stone, thus fulfilling the prophecy here of what Jesus says. So he's sitting here on the Mount of Olives. Now, we must remember the Mount of Olives is very important. Not only did he give end-time prophecy here to the disciples, but this is also the place where Jesus ascends to heaven on the Mount of Olives. And it's also the place that when Jesus returns to the earth, 
Jesus returns to the earth on the Mount of Olives. We're told that by the angels that, that are there as Jesus ascends to heaven of what they tell the disciples that Christ will return in the same manner in which he went up to heaven. But then here in verse 3 it says the disciples are talking to Jesus and they say, tell us, when will these things happen? And then they say, and when will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So there are really three questions here that they're asking. Number one is, when will these things happen? When will the temple be torn down stone by stone? And what are the signs of your coming? And then what about the end of the age? Now, Jesus answers these two questions. He, he answers the question about the destruction of the temple, and he answers the question about the return at the end of the age. And these two events, while they are separate, they're not disconnected. There are similarities between what will happen in the immediate future with the destruction of the temple and the temple at Jesus' return. Now, we must remember there was a temple at the time that Jesus is telling the disciples. Right now, there is no temple. And we know by Scripture that in the end times, the temple will be rebuilt. Now, as we prayerfully and carefully approach the passages, there are some truths here that really stand out about the second coming of Christ that, that, that Jesus is trying to tell us. or He's not trying to tell us. He's making it very clear with what he tells the disciples. And number one is this, is that the, his coming is certain. And there's a period at the end of that. It is not something that may happen or may not happen. Jesus' coming is certain, period. Jesus does not give us a date on the calendar. We'll get to that in a minute. He provides the disciples with some information around his return. And in verse 4 through 12, this is what Jesus says. And Jesus answered them saying, See to it that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. I want to pause there as we're reading this is very important. Jesus reiterates this over and over. Don't be deceived. Don't be led astray. Many will come in my name. He's telling us something that's, that's extremely, extremely important. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See to it that you are not alarmed, for these must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these things are but the beginning of the birth pangs. Then they will deliver you over to tribulation and to put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. He says it again. And because of lawlessness... That lawlessness will increase. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So Jesus is making it clear that there is a major deception that's going on. He continues on as we read here in a minute talking about that deception. But what Jesus is telling us is don't be led astray. He's saying be prepared. Don't be led astray. And we know all throughout history, people have claimed to be the Christ, claimed to be another God, claimed to be 
all of these things that, that lead many people astray. And these are the things that Jesus is warning us about. He also tells us here that there will be natural disasters, that there will be famines, that there will be diseases, there will be earthquakes, there will be all kinds of all kinds of events that will take place in the world. He's basically telling us these are the beginnings of the birth pains. And we know as a woman goes into, goes into labor, there's a time where all of a sudden the birth pains start. As you're getting closer and closer to delivering that child, there's a period of time where the birth pains start. And he's telling us this is the beginning of the birth pains. This is not the birth of the child. This is the beginning. This is the start this is the start of it. So basically, Jesus is telling us, you will know the season of the time of when this will happen because these will be like birth pains in childbirth. He tells us there's a time of persecution, and we know that Christians have been persecuted for, they're the largest and most persecuted group of people uh, in the world. We find in the Bible that Jesus tells us in verse 14 here, well, when will, this, when will you come back? And Jesus answers and he says this, and he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony for all nations, and then the end will come. For all nations. Basically what Jesus is saying here is that the gospel must be preached to the entire world. That's amazing love. That's amazing mercy of God that the gospel must be preached to the entire world before Jesus returns. Now when we talk about a second coming of Christ, the second thing that happens is what we call the abomination of desolation. Now this is mentioned in the book of Daniel. This is in Daniel 9.27, Daniel 11.31, Daniel 12.11. And this is basically a time where we are told in prophecy that, that the, the temple will be rebuilt. And once the temple is rebuilt... We know that the, the Antichrist at the time will enter the temple and will proclaim himself to be God. And that is the, des- the, the, the abomination of desolation. Now, it's interesting when we look at that because the temple right now is not rebuilt. The temple was torn down by the Romans, as I mentioned, in 70 AD. But when we look at this, we know that there is a time... Once again, another season, another, uh, another thing to be on the lookout for that Jesus is telling us is that, yes, it's going to be down. He says it's going to be torn down stone by stone. But then we know by Scripture it will be rebuilt because the Antichrist has to enter that building and basically proclaim himself as, as Christ and sets up the temple to be a place that worships the Antichrist. Matthew 24, 22 through 28 says this, And if those days were not cut short, talking about the tribulation on the world. Now, when we talk about this time period, there's a a seven-year time period where there will be a treaty made with Israel. And there's a seven-year period from the time the treaty is signed to the end point where Christ returns, where Jesus comes back to, to fight the devil and what we would mostly think about, the end of the world. This sets up the millennial reign of Christ once he defeats, defeats the devil. And what we would think about as Christ's ultimate return. Maybe not the end of the world, but the ultimate return before the millennial reign of Christ. 
Jesus goes on to say, If it had not been cut short, no human would have been saved. But for the sake of those elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is a Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. He's telling us again. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead those astray. He says, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So basically he's telling us, here's how you can believe is because I have told you these will happen and this I have told you beforehand. So if they say, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, here he is in their inner room, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be, come, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Verse 29 says, Immediately after the tribulation. So this is after the seven-year mark. Now, this period of time in the middle is when the Antichrist proclaims himself to be God. At the three-and-a-half-year mark, you have this time period where he proclaims to be God and the abomination of desolation happens. At the end of the seven years, this is what it says. Immediately after the tribulation of those, those, those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give off light and the stars will fall from heaven and the power of heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes on, earth will, on the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other so this is a period of time that jesus is laying out for us of of what must happen now there is another event that happens at some point before all of this, during all of this, or as many as some theologians think at the end of all of this, is what the theologians would call the rapture. It is basically a time when Jesus comes and takes all of his children with him. It is a time period where in the twinkle of an eye, all of a sudden there are two people walking, one is taken, one is left. There are two people in bed, one is taken one is left, that immediately Jesus calls his bride to him. That the world will be changed immediately uh, in, the, in the midst of this event. Now, there are some theologians that believe in a pre-tribulation. So with this seven-year period, this is a, a time period somewhere in the beginning or towards the start, maybe pre, being before that Jesus will come and take his church before the treaty is signed, uh, or towards the beginning of the tribulation. There's a group of other people that believe this will happen in the middle of the tribulation, that somewhere around that point when the Antichrist goes into the temple proclaiming himself to be God, that the rapture happens there. And then there are others that believe maybe the rapture happens post-tribulation or somewhere towards the end of where Jesus will come and will ultimately take his church. It is the thought and prayerful consideration of this ministry that we believe that there is either a pre-tribulation rapture or a mid-tribulation rapture. We do not believe there is scriptural foundation for a post. We believe that 
before God pours His wrath out on the world. Uh, we believe that Christ will come and will take His church. And we believe this based upon 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, the Apostle Paul is writing, and he says, And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. We believe this tells us that Jesus will pull his church away from the world, pull his church out of the world at this time before God pours his wrath out in the last three and a half years uh, on the world. There are many stances for a pre-tribulation, a mid-tribulation, and a post-tribulation. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53 says this, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised from the dead, and those who are living will be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. These scriptures are telling us that there is a group of people that will not die. These are people that are alive on the world and they will ultimately immediately be transformed into their immortal bodies and taken to be with Jesus. Now when Jesus is asked, as he was asked, when will this happen? In verse 36, back in Matthew 24, Jesus says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So anyone that proclaims to know a certain day, the end of the world is going to happen on this date, is a false Christ. That is someone who does not know the truth because Jesus says only the Father will know. People have set up all kinds of dates, all kinds of times. The Bible is very clear. No one knows the hour of the day that we may know the season of things to come and things to happen, but we will not know the hour or the day. So when we look for people or we start to believe and when people might say or old prophecies or Mayan calendars or whatever somebody may be talking about. No one knows the hour or the day. And when we look and we say, okay, so when this, this, this rapture happens, and the word rapture is not even in the Bible. This is a, this is a snatching away. This is a, a catching up. This is a, a, an immediate taking away of the, of the church that those that believe and have repented, believe in Jesus and repented of their sins, they are followers of Christ, they are Christians, they will immediately be taken to be with Christ. And in verse 39, 37 through 39, it says this, For as in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood... They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in to marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. I think this is another reason that it can't be a post-tribulation where God has poured His wrath out on the world where people are drinking and eating and marrying and giving in to marriage. This is, this is a direct relation to, uh, to, the, to the rapture of when God will take his church, that it will be immediate, that people will not know this 
directly coincides with what Jesus said about that no one knows the time or the day. Verse 42 through 43 says this, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house get broken into. Jesus is saying, stay awake, pay attention. He is ultimately saying, be ready that he will come like a thief in the night. That we cannot let our guard down. We can't say, oh, I'll get right with God tomorrow. Oh, I'll get right with God next week. Our life is but a midst. It is here one minute and gone the next. And at some point, there will be a group of Christians that won't even experience death. They will be taken in the blink of an eye. Verse 44 says, Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of the Man will come in an hour you do not expect. So the message for today is this. So many people and so many times try to decipher or know when Jesus is coming. And the purpose that Jesus was telling us for all of this is not to try to decipher or know when. We will know the season. The purpose of this is for Jesus, is what Jesus is telling us, is to be prepared, to be ready. That Jesus is coming for His bride, and that bride is the church. And when He comes, it will be swift. It will be immediate. It will be in the twinkle of an eye. And we know as Christians the Great Commission... The Great Commission is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to share the gospel with every person. So the Son of Man, so that the Son of God can return to this earth and take us to our rightful place. So today, don't be caught up in knowing when. Be caught up in being prepared. Be caught up in becoming more and more like Christ in everything that we do. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your ever-changing spirit that just molds us and shapes us to be more and more like Christ. Lord, we invite the spirit in to change us, to be more like Christ, that we don't focus on things that, that we don't focus on things of God, that we focus on, on the things that only God knows. We focus on the things of God that can change us. Lord, I pray that you come into our hearts, that you change us, that we are prepared, that we are a church that is sharing the gospel, that we are a church that is loving each other, that we are ultimately loving you and loving our neighbor. Please move us to, to, to know that, that truth, and so that truth can set us free to move us forward. And we thank you so much, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us. Our Go Follow Jesus group of followers are an amazing group of people, and we thank you for all your interaction. Please share, like, comment on this video so that it can reach more people for Christ. God bless.